The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'm kind of a spiritual journeyman and media producer type guy. I run a website called youthrivehere.com. And I'm here with Raymond Anderson, the Senior Minister for the Center for Spiritual Living in Greater Baltimore. Hey, Ray, how you doing today? I'm doing well, and yourself? I'm doing good. Um, I think we have something pretty interesting today. Um, Oh, abracadabra. Abracadabra. We're going to be talking about the concept of magic. Yes, yes, yes. And what does that mean exactly? Is it compatible with new thought? You Uh, You decide. There's a question. <laughs> now, I think much of it uh, may be, but we'll have to talk with Dean Radin. He's the uh, author of Real Magic, Ancient Wisdom, Modern Science, and a Guide to the Secret Power of the Universe. Dean is a chief scientist at the Institute for Noetic Sciences. So I think it's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah, this is going to be a good one. A <laughs> lot of questions for Dean. A lot of questions. A lot hope of he's questions. ready. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> All right, let's go. I've got uh, my inspirational song today. Are you ready with yours? Yes, and I have mine. All right, uh, here we go. Let's get into a very meditative state. that okay so 
Uh, I'm almost embarrassed to let you know that what I was going to play was Puff the Magic Dragon. <laughs> oh, not that my song choice is going to be much better than that, but uh, I'm ready if you are. <laughs> well, listen, you know, I bet, I'm, I'm willing to bet that okay. ACDC has never been played on Unity Island Radio before. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. Now, you know, I'm going to acknowledge that maybe their overall catalog is not spiritually kind of uh, oriented, but, you know, this is a gut thing. It's a motivation thing. And to me, it's the song that comes to me when I, I need a comeback. I'm yes. back. Yes. I'm back. That's the thing. It's about what gets your energy going. Yes, and, and at least I didn't play their song Highway to Hell. <laughs> hey, that's for a different show. And this this may be the episode that Unity Online Radios decides to uh, pull the plug, but you know, <laughs> no such thing. Now you can find, of course, ACDC's "Back in Black" on their greatest hits album, which is on iTunes and many other places. I'm sure you'll go right out and buy that immediately <laughs> for your spiritual catalog. Raymond, ready? What do you got? Here we go. Let me turn this up. To right the unrightable wrong. To love pure and chaste from afar. To try when your arms are too weary. To reach the unreachable star. This is my quest to follow that star No matter how hopeless, no matter how far To fight for the right without question or pause To be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause And I know if I There you go, some man of La Mancha. First thing wow. in the morning. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that, do you listen to that uh, all the time? Oh, well, I wouldn't say all the time, but, uh, you know, uh, when I was in middle school, you know, taking a Spanish class, we went on a field trip to see Man of La Mancha. Here I am, the only seventh grader sitting in this auditorium in Pittsburgh crying. So it's been on my mind ever since then. So. That's my confession for the week, since you did one before. <laughs> wow, wow. And uh, who, who is singing that? Is that the, so like, the Broadway recording? Yeah, so that version is Brian Stokes Mitchell from when he did uh, Don Quixote de la Mancha on Broadway. Wow, you know, for a second, it sounded like you were singing that. Mm, no comment. I'm going to leave that alone. Maybe I've, <laughs> I've heard you say in, in sermons, I think. I've heard you say. <laughs> oh, moving on. <laughs> moving on. So, you know, we're, uh, it's time for uh, dueling inspirations. I've got my inspiration ready. What about you? Do you have yours? Yes. So I have actually uh, a couple of short ones, but I'm ready. Go for it. So let's see. The first one. Let's see which one I'm going to do first. Okay, and above all, 
watch with glittering eyes the whole world around you because the greatest secrets are always hidden in the most unlikely places. Those who don't believe in magic will never find it. Mm. And so that's Dahl, uh, the author of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. And then Yates says, the world is full of magic things, patiently waiting for our senses to grow sharper. Okay, hold on a second. Who was that second one from? Yates, W.B. Yates. The universe, that was mine. Are you serious? The universe is full of magical things, patiently waiting for our wits to grow sharper. What? Magic, I'm telling what? you. Okay, but I, I got it from Dean's book, uh, Real Magic, and it says it's from Eden Philpotts, a uh, English author, poet, and dramatist. We've got controversy here. Dun, dun, dun. All right. Listeners, yeah. please research this and tell us who is the actual author of this quote. Yes, who penned it originally? That is so, that's magic. <laughs> that's uh, what we did the previous show, that's synchronicities. There you go. I, I, literally, that, that is what I picked out for my- Wow, that's okay. Interesting. <laughs> so, you know, we talk about uh, magic and pop culture today. We, yes. you know, it, it is everywhere. It's Harry Potter. It's The Force in Star Wars. Yes. And of course, one of my favorite movies in recent years is Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah. And you wear, you often wear a, a little magical am, a, amulet. Yes. I, um, on most Sundays, I'm wearing the Eye of Agamotto that he wears. You know, it's, you know, my little nerd nod. Oh, like there's only one. Oh, yeah. No comment. Shh. I'm not supposed to know. <laughs> oh, right. So what do you think? Why is it so prevalent in pop culture right now? Yes, that's a really good question. And that's sort of one that I want us to ask Dean, because somewhere in the book, I forget what page it is, when he talks about it being a multi-billion dollar industry and, you know, it's being essential to pop culture. You know, like for me, you know, being involved in this whole metaphysical thing, I think the metaphysics of the symbolism of what magic is, we're hungry for it. We're hungry for the hero's journey. We're hungry for getting back to the basics of, you know, what does it mean to live a life on purpose? And I think all of these movies that talk about magic, they delve into stuff that rekindles hope. I think that's a huge part of it. We don't really have magic, magical moments in our lives now. Do you think uh, magic is compatible with new thought? I, I mentioned that earlier. Do you think, uh, I, I, I certainly think there's some crossover. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but you know, uh, one of the things that uh, Dr. Strange, uh, this quote that I, that I take to is, is the uh, ancient one says, mm -hmm. the language of the mystic arts is as old as civilization. The sorcerers of antiquity called the use of this language spells. But if that word offends your modern sensibilities, you can call it a program, the source code that shapes reality. That's fascinating to me because to, to me, and I'm gonna, I, I may quote that again to Dean to get his response, but mm -hmm. you know, that's interesting to me because it, it, it says in a sense that it's, it's just a knowledge, a, you know, a, tech, a technology that we just don't know that right. we've called spells and stuff before. What do you think? Well, you know, um, Florence Shovel Shin in her book, Your Word is Your Wand, 
You know, we've in New Thought, we talk about the power of words, the power of co-creating or creating from our thoughts, our words, aligning with, you know, aligning with the universe or source or God or whatever we're calling it. So in one way or another, we're all sort of saying the same kind of thing. I think where we may, where new thought and quote unquote magic might, you know, go in two different directions is some will say, well, when you're, when you're focusing on a candle as the source of your magic, or you're focusing on, you know, this good luck charm as the source of, then you're sort of getting away from, because now you're relying on this thing mm-hmm. rather than the infinite. So I think that's where it separates, but I, you know, yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot of overlap. I think for me, I take away, you know, especially from reading Dean's book is that it's um, that that's sort of a focused symbol of it, but not necessarily the source of it. You know, right. maybe, oh, I agree with you. Yeah. Maybe that could be my perception, but it, you know, I don't know that it's worshiping the thing. I, you know, I, I don't believe in worshiping things, you know, right. uh, but I, you know, it's interesting. Do you think Charmed and the Magicians and, you know, all that speak to that? I haven't seen those particular shows, but of course, my son is I always have. watching Harry <laughs> Potter, you know. You have. I know you yeah, have. I have. <laughs> yeah, I have. Charmed, the Magicians, and the originals, Sabri- the new version of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah, so... Uh, so you watch a lot of magic. That's what I'm saying. It's there are so many shows on right now where magic is somewhere in there. It's it's very interesting, extremely interesting. Um, so for me, you know, there are times when I'll go to New York or, you know, even in Laurel, Maryland to Crystal Fox or, you know, one of these new agey shops and you see folks shopping and buying things. And so when I, when I was referencing people focusing on the candle or the crystal or whatever, there are some out there who that's their, that's their thing. That's where it comes from. And I think for us in new thought, we understand that, well, it doesn't come from that. That's a tool for, you know, it's like, we don't look at the paint or the brush as that's where art comes from. No, it's a tool for creating the art. Yeah. I very much agree with that. That makes sense to me. And for me, that's sort of where Dean, you know, where he's talking about is, but there's, there's this energy, you know, there's this psi energy that, you know, and it's like, when you know how to work with that, then you're bringing all this other stuff into alignment. But, you know, even when we, when we talk metaphysics and when we talk, you know, when Dean talks about magic, people who don't quite understand what's going on, they you know, they roll their eyes and yeah. think, you're just nuts. Yeah. I mean, people do that when, when we talk about just straight what we do as metaphysicians or, you know, whether it's unity or uh, religious science or divine science or whatever. As soon as you tell people, oh, yeah, I go to a CSL or I go to unity dot dot dot. And they're like, well, what does that believe? And we tell them and they're like, oh, you're one of those. <laughs> but, you know, the this kind of concepts, the magic, you know, concepts, I got to stop saying, you know, <laughs> this kind of concept is in all religions. Yes. To some extent. And people just don't comprehend it because it's, they come from their origin and it's just a natural part of what they grew up with. But in, in essence, it is kind of a magical thing. 
Yes. Yes, it is. And it's, it's ultimately infused in everything in our culture and society. Just the fact that we teach our children about Santa Claus. Santa Claus is a magical being. Okay, let's not go too much into Santa Claus. <laughs> I mean, Don't we, touch Santa Claus. Okay, fine. I'll go with St. Patrick's Day. What is St. Patrick's Day? And what the, the magic of the leprechaun? You know, like we've got ha Halloween. We have regular everyday holidays that on some level, the holiday itself is enmeshed in this idea of magic somewhere. Because it's, it's part of the foundation of, like you said, it's part of the foundation of our culture and civilization since the beginning of time with those first cave drawings. Like, it's been part of us. Why do you think we're so afraid of it? I think for a couple of reasons. One, you know, if you look at the way we portray it in movies, like you mentioned Harry Potter, magic gone wrong looks like Voldemort. You know, magic gone wrong looks like, you know, controlling people without their will being involved. That's one reason why people are afraid of like things like hypnosis. I, I get, I'm afraid that you're going to hypnotize me and make me do something against my will. So I think the idea of magic, if it exists, well, what's to prevent me from using magic on you to get you to, you know, uh, give me all of your cigars? Like what's to prevent me? Right. Right. Where, where's the valve that prevents that kind of thing from happening? I think that's one of the things that scares us. And now it's time for Raywan's Corner. This whole idea of magic makes me think about, you know, being into the comic books the way you and I are. It makes me think about Doctor Strange. And then on cable, on the sci-fi network, there is the magicians. And then we know Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling. Like, there's a lot of magic and stuff out there. But what comes to my mind is this idea from the magicians that I'm seeing a through line where they say it's not skill that makes the good magician, but it's the pain that the magician goes through that creates the magic. So it just makes me question this idea of, instead of trying to deny our pain or, or, or you know, submerge it and stuff it, why not simply stare at it directly for what it is, acknowledge it, and then channel it into whatever that magic is, whether that magic is music or dance or theology or community or writing or teaching, whatever it is, but learn how to turn it back into creation. You know, in Greek mythology, there's the legend of Chiron, the wounded healer, and he was able to heal everybody of everything, but he couldn't heal himself of this one inflicted wound and because of that, it's what made him such a great healer. So what would happen if more of us looked at the pain within ourselves as a means of standing in the flow, being in alignment to help others transcend, transform, and then heal whatever's going on in their lives so that they can demonstrate magic? All right, well, let's talk to Dean now. Our guest today is Dean Radin, author of the book, Real Magic, Ancient Wisdom, Modern Science, and a Guide to the Secret Power of the Universe. Dr. Dean is Chief Scientist at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, an Associated Distinguished Professor at the California Institute of Integral Studies. He earned an MS in Electrical Engineering and a PhD in Psychology from the University of Illinois, Urbane-Champaign. Braden held, he held uh, appointments at AT&T Bell Labs, Princeton University, University of Edinburgh, and SRI Institute International. 
He's written four popular books, The Conscious Universe, Entangled Minds, Supernormal, and Real Magic. Thanks, Ray, for joining us. And thanks, Dean, for joining us. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Well, first I have to say that, um, dude, you freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> that, is, that is fine. That could happen. <laughs> In a good way. It's a good way that you did, but but it's it's interesting. Um, so the premise of your book is magic is real. What do you mean by that? Well, first of all, uh, magic is a word that we use when we don't know what we're talking about yet. So it's a placeholder, especially from a scientific perspective. Uh, if you go back far enough in history, everything was considered magic. We didn't know how anything worked. So. This magic is, uh, consists of three different practices that uh, go back all the way through human history. Uh, one practice is divination, which is perception through space and time. So the, the stereotype is uh, the crystal ball and throwing the runes and the I Ching and all that sort of stuff. The second category is I call force of will or manifestation. It's the idea that your intention can manipulate the physical world outside yourself. And the third category is called theurgy, which is about communicating with invisible or non-human spirits. So those, those are the three practices of classical or we might otherwise say esoteric magic. So dive into those a little bit for me. What do you mean by the first one there? Well, perception through space and time. Uh, History is full of it. In fact, our religious texts are full of prophets who presumably are perceiving through space and time. So uh, what does science have to say about that? Well, we don't study prophets, but what we can do is bring people into the laboratory and see whether or not they can respond to events that are in the future that they cannot infer. So that would be, if, that, if they're able to do that beyond chance levels, then yeah, we, we have the ability to perceive through time. And then you can do similar experiments where you have some kind of a, of a target somewhere, a photograph, a person, something like that, which is far enough away from the, the subject that they can't perceive it with their ordinary senses. And we're talking about perhaps a thousand miles away or right next to you, but inside a box. So you're, you're, you can't reach it in ordinary senses. And if they're able to describe those targets, beyond chance, and it says, well, we can also perceive through space. So both of those kinds of experiments have been conducted many times uh, in actually looking at the, these issues in different ways. So there's four or five different classes of precognition experiments, and the same for clairvoyance experiments, looking through space. And if you just take a, an evidence-based scientific approach to answer the question as to whether or not that sort of perception is possible? The answer is yes. Fascinating, fascinating. Now you talk about three current approaches to studying consciousness, and this is a sense of consciousness that we're, we're talking about. Um, plus you have a fourth way. Can you talk a little bit about that? Philosophers, scientists, meditators, and the fourth way you're, you're referring to? Yeah, the fourth way is a little less common than the first three. The first three you, you will find in the academic world. Uh, what you generally don't find in the academic world is taking seriously the anomalies associated with consciousness. So the anomalies are things don't, that don't fit our current worldview. And yet 
in, in some cases, they're completely undeniable. Like we don't deny that there was someone like Mozart, but we don't understand genius at all. Like it doesn't, doesn't fit any of our theories about how somebody could be like that. Interesting. But a little bit closer are uh, autistic savants. We're all familiar with people who can look at a scene and then later just draw the entire thing again in great detail and mathematical prodigies and so on. So we don't deny that that's real either, except we don't understand that either. Uh, right. I'm more interested in uh, where you really begin to push the envelope, and, and that's with psychic phenomena. So if psychic phenomena, and we're talking about telepathy, clairvoyance, precognition, and psychokinesis primarily, if these were so rare that it was not possible to find people to study, or if it only occurred spontaneously, then science would have nothing to say about it. But fortunately, it's not rare. In fact, it seems to follow the same curve of talent as musical or sports talent. So it's like a normal curve. So some people are completely psychically blind. Hmm. Others are, have very high talent, but the majority fall in the middle somewhere. So what that means is that uh, a psychologist can, uh, who's teaching at a university can oftentimes will use their sophomores as subjects in experiments. And so you can do experiments on psychic phenomena, even for students who don't have any experience or claims about these phenomena, and you can get results. So it takes a lot of subjects, a lot of repetition. The results are typically statistical in nature, but so what? Practically everything else we know is statistical in nature. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, let me just finish that thought. So, uh, so the reason why this is interesting now is, is because not only can you show that these effects are, are exist in the average population, uh, but you, you, can, you can push it into all of the different classes of psychic phenomena that re are reported. And when you look at surveys about belief in these phenomena, it's the majority of people in, in the world. If you do a different kind of survey where you ask about their experience. So we, we did a, a survey with uh, 25 different experiences that were described where we didn't use any words like psychic anything, but just experience, like the feeling of being stared at or a gut feeling that later turned out to be true, those kinds of things. And we asked the general population and we also asked a subset of scientists and engineers, had they had at least one of the 25 different kinds of experiences? Well. 94% of the general population and 93% of scientists and engineers. And so this is not rare, actually. It's, it's pretty common that people have had these experiences, including scientists and engineers. So that's why, in a sense, why it's relatively easy to study these kinds of effects in the laboratory. Fascinating, fascinating. Well, we'll be right back with more from Dean Radin. You're listening to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. 
Welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. We're talking with Dean Radin, author of the book Real Magic, Ancient Wisdom, Modern Science, and a Guide to the Secret Power of the Universe. Dean is the Chief Scientist at the Institute of Noetic Sciences. Raymond, you had a question. Yes. So, Dean, you mentioned the three sort of esoteric elements of magic, where it was divination, force of will, and theurgy. Mm -hmm. Are all three of these things that science can measure or study in some way, shape, or form? Yes. So, as I mentioned with divination, it's typically studying clairvoyance and precognition. For force of will, as a general term, we use psychokinesis. So, it's mind-matter interactions. There are plenty of studies on that. For theurgy, we're somewhat limited because we don't have instruments that can directly detect a spirit. There are people working on that issue. I mean, there's some that, that do say that they can use electronic voice phenomena or instrumental transcommunication to pick up something. Uh, so the people are working on that issue. But generally what, what we've done, uh, and most of my colleagues do, is study it through practices like mediumship and channeling and studying near-death experiences and so on. So all of those kinds of phenomena, and there's roughly eight, I think, different kinds of phenomena suggesting that there's either some form of survival of consciousness after bodily death or some independent existence of what, what we would call spirits, also in want of a better name for whatever that is. So yeah, you can apply scientific practices uh, to all of these. What, you, what we so far cannot do very easily is uh, apply theories. Like if we try to craft a scientific theory to account for any of these phenomena using existing science, about the closest that we can get is saying, well, there seems to be a relationship between the strange aspects of quantum mechanics and the strange aspects of these experiences. But that's actually not a theory yet. It's just saying we're looking at some parallel here that looks meaningful, but it's not as, as precise as a theory. Thank you very much. So theurgy, let me understand what theurgy is. Can you explain a little bit more about that? So a medium uh, is a psychic who has a special ability to communicate according to the medium's uh, experience. They're communicating with a departed spirit, a, a dead person, basically. Uh, sometimes it's not a dead person especially if the, they also have channeling abilities and they're talking it's to space people and the spirits of the forest and you name it. For ordinary people, these are all invisible and, and we don't have the experience of talking to something, but the, the medium does. So the medium will see it sometimes, they'll hear it, they'll feel it, they'll communicate with something that they feel is an independent entity. So it's, it's very difficult in, uh, from a scientific perspective, as I said, to know what they're communicating with. But what we can do, especially in the case of mediumship, is uh, a, a medium's typical practice will be that they work with a client, or typically used to the word sitter. So they have a person come to them, they, they're a sitter, they want to talk to their dead Uncle Bob. And so the, the medium will contact dead Uncle Bob somehow and start giving information about Uncle Bob. So in an experimental context, you don't want to do that because uh, when, you, when you can see somebody, you get a lot of information about their reactions as you're talking. So 
in experiments, you don't allow the medium to see or hear the sitter. And in fact, most of them have proxy sitters, which is a research assistant who doesn't know Uncle Bob at all, but is, is the person sitting in the place of, of the sitter. So it, of course, immediately raises a strange question. How can the medium contact Uncle Bob, who the sitter doesn't know in this case, because they're a proxy? Well, somehow it happens. This is true for most psychic phenomena, where how, how do you know how to get information clairvoyantly from a thousand miles away? We don't know how that happens, but somehow they, they can do it. So the medium can get information from Uncle Bob, typically in an experiment. Anything that the medium says is then transcribed uh, so that judges later can look at it. And so uh, this is at least double blind and you can make triple blind and even quadruple blind experiments where nobody involved has a path of information that can give you a clue about Uncle Bob. So a very simple design then is, you have one proxy sitter for Uncle Bob, one proxy sitter for Uncle George. Now you have two transcripts that the medium said after contacting these two people. You, give the, you take the transcripts and you move any mention of Bob or George, so it's just two descriptions of people, you give them both of the transcripts to the people who actually knew Bob, people who actually knew George, and you have them rank which of these two transcripts better match Bob or George, according to the ones who knew them. So if the medium was getting accurate information, then the people who knew Bob and George would be able to correctly guess which of the two transcripts there were. So those kinds of experiments have been done, with of course many, many repetitions, and it shows very clearly that some mediums get accurate information about the departed loved ones. So we know that, that at least what their medium is reporting is accurate. What unfortunately doesn't tell us much about what it is or how they got the information. So that's, that's kind of a sticking point in that kind of argument, but at least it says that the subjective experience of the medium is accurate. That's fascinating. Now, I think occasionally, I don't know if he's aware of it, but I think Raymond occasionally channels Uncle Bob. I'm not positive. <laughs> you said you weren't going to bring that up in front of you. I, I know, I know. <laughs> so what's interesting to me is that you say that Psi passes the Six Sigma threshold. Can you explain what that, what that means? Six Sigma is a term that's probably more familiar in an industrial in the industrial world. So it has to do with manufacturing reliability and, uh, and accuracy. So if you buy a hard disk that has one terabyte of storage on it, you don't want every 10th or 15th bit to go bad because then it's not very good. So Six Sigma in, in the case of building highly precision machines means that the failure rate is roughly one in a billion. So it's actually in a, in a terabyte drive, that's not so good because you're gonna have a thousand bits at some point to go bad. Well, it's not so bad because oftentimes programs have redundancy built in, so maybe a thousand bits wouldn't matter. But I would guess that at least in building modern uh, disk storage that it's better than Six Sigma, probably up to around Seven Sigma at this point. But Six Sigma is used for a lot of things, like the most of your car, is built around to that standards because you don't want things falling off your car while you're going 70 miles an hour. Uh, and so this Six Sigma level then is a statistical uh, term meaning about a billion to one. It's the odds against chance of a billion to one. So what 
referring back to psi experiments, it means that the odds against chance were the effects of what we see in the laboratory for telepathy and clairvoyance and so on. The odds against chance are a billion to one. Hmm. So yeah. you take that as in physics, for example, a five sigma result is considered to be a discovery in hmm. physics. Hmm. Six sigma would be you're certain that it's real. Wow. So one of the things that uh, we were talking about before you came on was how inundated pop culture is with this idea of magic and recent Marvel film, Dr. Strange uh, Jim was saying that the ancient one references magic as simply being an element of science that we have yet to figure out how to measure. What are your thoughts about that? Oh, that's exactly right. Yeah, I, I like that film. I saw it several times. <laughs> yeah, they got the, the magical lore right, and of course, they have all of the, the Hollywood elaborations of it. Um, I thought also what was interesting about that movie is that Dr. Strange was a super skeptic neurosurgeon type. And the only way that he actually understood any of it was to get pushed out of his body into some kind of astral plane or something by the ancient one. And for some people, in fact, most people actually, if you're presented with something that you find very difficult to believe, you can see a lot of evidence for it and you still won't believe it. Mm -hmm. it what, what the way that you end up believing it is through a single personal experience. And so the, uh, I refer, I think I ever talk about this in my book, Real Magic, that the president of the American Statistical Association gave a talk to, to as part of a presidential address, 2016, and to an audience of thousands of statisticians. And she happened to mention that one of the th areas that she had studied was parapsychological data. And she came to the conclusion that it's as good as any other data that we see in science. Then she asked the audience, uh, if you don't believe that psychic phenomena can exist, what would persuade you? More data and presentations about experiments or a personal experience? And even among statisticians who deal with analysis all the time, they also said they want a personal experience, not more data. So on page 20, you say that magic is a multi-billion dollar industry and an essential component of pop culture. Why do you think that is? Why do you think magic is everywhere today? Well, magic never went away. The, the idea that uh, we have capacities beyond what we're taught about in our textbooks uh, has always been with us. And whether it's considered psychic or mystical or just intuitive abilities, people resonate with these ideas and it becomes popular entertainment for the, because of the very fact that people know about it in their own lives. If you have over 90% of the population having at least one kind of experience, psychic type of experience, then it's not surprising that if you see that elaborated in a movie, you'd say, okay, it's, it's kind of, I sort of know what that's like. Uh, it's much more exciting in a movie context, but they're familiar with the idea. And so if you present something which doesn't resonate with human experience at all, it's a very tough sell. In this case, it's an easy sell. Thank you. Is, do you consider prayer, the idea of prayer, magic? Is that a sense of, of creating magic? Or what are your thoughts on that? Well, prayer, there are two types of prayer that we can talk about. And prayer where you're praying for something to happen is clearly force of will. 
that that's an intentional act. So that would fall in the category of kind of magic or from a scientific perspective, it's a psychokinetic effect. You're, mm. you're using your intention to change the world in some way. But the other kind of prayer is maybe a prayer of gratitude or a, a prayer of, of honoring someone or something. In that case, you don't have an intention behind it necessarily. It's simply a matter of being grateful. So that doesn't carry the same, it wouldn't, I wouldn't put it into the same category as force of will. I think most prayers actually are intentional. We're praying for our team to win, praying for somebody to get well from an illness, that sort of thing. Those prayers are all clearly within the magical realm. So quick question to piggyback off of it. <clears throat> Any new thought centers or churches, the idea that the prayer is more of an affirmation or declaration of truth rather than changing the circumstances, does that fall under force of will as well, a different type? Well, that would actually be like a third category. Oh, okay. Right? So, that, so an acknowledgement of a perceived truth, I guess you could call it a prayer, sort of a prayer, but it, I would put it kind of in the gratitude class. It, it's an acknowledgement of something that doesn't have intention necessarily underneath it. Thank you. I'm always puzzled by people who use prayer for their sports team to win. I, I don't first, <laughs> first off, it doesn't work for me because the Ravens haven't been doing well in a long time. But second, it, it puzzles me. Why would, why would you use a tool like that to get your sports team to win? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> Well, one of the answers is that we, we're using intention all the time. We're, we're constantly using intention. Every time you move your body, you do anything, it's intention. So it's, it's pretty natural then to have intention to something that you're interested in. And so if you want your team to win, I mean, that's the whole point of being a fan, right? You want them to win. So why not pray for them to win? Interesting. Interesting. So since you mentioned intention, there's a second part of that where you say on page 73, the essence of magic boils down to the application of two ordinary mental skills, and intention was one of them. Is the other one? Uh, I don't remember. But what, is it, what did I actually say? <laughs> Attention and intention. Oh, yeah. Yeah, attention and intention. So in order to have intention, you have to have attention. So attention comes first. It means uh, of the near-infinite number of things that we could pay attention to, we could focus on, you need to focus on something. So you could focus on something without intention. You could just stare at something and just look at it. Uh, using the intention means that you now want something as a result of that focus. So it's a combination of both of those. And it, and the first one, attention, is not that easy. I mean, if somebody has attention deficit disorder, they, they can pay attention to something for five seconds and then they're off to something else. So that kind of person would not be very effective at magical practice. Can everyday people access the psi levels through, you mentioned meditation as, as one way to, to approach it. Can everyday people do this kind of thing or is it, is it more specialized in certain people? And do, have you had any studies that explain that at all? Uh, well, accessing involves training, and training so far, uh, let me answer a different way. So let's say you were, you're asking not about psi, but about tennis playing. So can average people learn how to play tennis? Yeah, 
Some will be really good at it really quickly. Some will not be able to be good at it. And, and most of us in the middle will be able to play something. They'll be, know the rules of the game and be able to do it a little bit. So it's the same as for Psy, the same for music, the same for virtually any other kind of skill that we have. I think the, the underlying question is, is there a special talent, a special kind of ability that is unlike other abilities that we know? And I think the answer is no. It, it really is very similar to all of the other things that we can do. And it, it does boil down to, can you pay attention? Can you use your intention? Are you willing to practice? Like discipline, practice? The best people in the world, whether they're in sports or music or anywhere else, they have super talent, but they also practice all the time. The same is true here. You want to get really good at something like clairvoyance? You need some talent, but you also need to practice all the time. Huh. I wonder how, how someone practices that. I, I just don't have a clue. Oh, are there well, methods? For, oh, yeah, yeah. For, for, um, for remote viewing in particular, there's a, a number of websites out there now that have targets to practice on. Huh. And, and even training, online training. And there's uh, trainers you can go to and take courses in remote viewing. I don't know that there's similar training for telepathy. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult because you need at least one other partner, but in principle, you could do that too. Uh, and you can, in fact, do that with any kind of psychic phenomena. There, if, if you use Google long enough, you'll find somebody somewhere teaching it. So I just thought, remind myself that, yeah, there is a, at least one person I know in the United States who's teaching about psychokinetic effects. Uh, I know there's, there are whole companies in Russia who teach classrooms of people how to do that. Really? And, and if you, you just uh, tweak, tweak this a little bit, you say, well, uh, would a energy healing method like Reiki or Joe Ray or therapeutic touch, would that be a kind of intentional practice? And that, yeah, those are too. And there's plenty of people learning that. So uh, in each case here, we, uh, except for remote viewing, there's lots of training that goes on that would probably fit under an umbrella where we can think of, is it, does it involve attention? Does it involve intention? Yeah, a, a lot of things that we learn how to do involve both of those, including among other things, meditation. Like every side street now has a meditation center, so you can go <laughs> learn how to, how to train your attention. Interesting, interesting. You come to six conclusions, and there's, I mean, there's so much to talk about it's just so many things, but you come to, there are six conclusions that you mentioned. Um, I can remind you of those. Do you know what um, we get? Yeah, I turned the book in at the end of 2017. <laughs> and while I've given a lot of interviews about it, uh, usually I don't get to the level of specificity, like the, what are the six things? <laughs> I don't know. The reason I write a book is so I get it outside of my head. Right, <laughs> right. Well, you mentioned, um, we gain info beyond ordinary senses was one of the conclusions. Yeah. Psi um, is widely distributed among the population. Yep, as we just discussed. Effects arise from the unconscious. Yeah, that we haven't discussed yet. So there's an enormous amount of evidence that uh, these kinds of phenomena, whether it happens spontaneously or in the laboratory, is not coming from the level of conscious awareness. It's bubbling up from some deeper level of awareness. In a sense, that's not too surprising because all of our perceptions 
are coming up from the unconscious. Our motivations, our whole being is sitting on a much larger portion of our consciousness that we are by definition not aware of. And, and I mean, besides psychotherapy and neuroscience, you can see in every, everyday life that if you're, you're doing something where your conscious mind is saying, now, why am I doing this? Like, well, why, am, why am I smoking now? I know that's not good. Why am I drinking? Why am I eating a piece of sugar? We consciously know these are not really good. We'll do it anyway. Why? Because the, the body and the part of the unconscious is the body overrides our conscious mind. And that's why people are driving drunk and doing things that they're absolutely know is not a good thing to do. Sure. So the same is true here that a lot of, of psychic ability is coming up from that unknown place. One of the reasons I think the meditation helps is because you get in better contact, better conscious contact with what's going on at a deeper level. Interesting. Interesting. So psi effects are stronger during non-ordinary states. Can you explain that a little bit? <clears throat> right. So your conscious mind, especially in everyday awareness, uh, as I said before, that is not the place you want to do this, either psychic stuff or magical practice. Uh, so you look at, well, where, in what kinds of states do we find these effects most strong? Well, you find it in, uh, in dreams, uh, during psychedelics, during meditation, and during spontaneous life events that involve crisis, typically, life and death kinds of crisis. So all of these are pushing your conscious awareness. It's, you still may be conscious, but it's it's not an ordinary state of awareness. It involves much more of, of the totality of your consciousness. Interesting. And, and you mentioned we can influence the physical world. Yeah, to a small extent, our intention appears to push the physical world around. Almost, almost certainly in the form of changing the probability of events rather than applying force. So for many years, people imagined that a psychokinetic effect actually was a kind of a force. Like in the movie Doctor Strange, you see, you see things being emitted from people, you know, lightning bolts and stuff. That would involve probably something like ordinary force. Or even if it wasn't ordinary force, it's still force-like. And at least from the laboratory perspective, it doesn't look like what we're dealing with here is force. Hmm. It looks more like... Uh, when somebody is influencing a physical system at a distance, it's as though there's a reorganization of ambient energies that are already at that location. You're reorganizing air molecules, you're reorganizing physiological energy and so on. And the reorganization can have a huge effect, hmm. but it doesn't mean that you're injecting anything new into the system. Gotcha. And so the, one of the ways that we, we there, there's evidence that this is the case is because uh, psychokinetic effects are not limited by space. So if you can do something from three feet away, you're very likely to be able to do it from 30 feet and 30 miles away, in which case it becomes very unlikely that you're somehow sending force. It's much more likely that you're organizing force that's there already. Interesting. Um, we have about two and a half minutes guys, just letting you know. Um, you mentioned three basic ideas that are the basis of real magic. Consciousness is fundamental. Everything is interconnected. And there's only one consciousness. 
We only have about two minutes. <laughs> Can you address <laughs> some of that in that uh, little bit of time? Yeah, so those, those three summaries are what you find if you study the 10,000 years of esoteric literature, whether it's Hermeticism or the Kabbalah or Neoplatonism or you name it, they all basically boil down to those three ideas. And the most important is consciousness is fundamental, meaning more fundamental than the physical world. That's, that's what the esoteric literature is all about. So would you say that if someone studied, you know, the Gnostic Gospels or Hermeticism, they would gain greater insight into this thing called real magic? I think they would, because real ma because magic is to those esoteric traditions as today's technology is to the scientific worldview. So if you take a you take the science worldview, you get a certain way of thinking about the world. Take the esoteric worldview, you find other ways of a being in a sense, and that would that would help somebody better understand magic and psychic phenomena. I think. Thank you, nice. Dean. Man, that that is you've got so much information. I just want to pick your brain for another three hours, but right. we have to uh, we have to rein this in. Uh, thanks for joining us, Dean. You're welcome. Yes, you can find out more about Dean at uh, deanraden.org. His mm -hmm. book is Real Magic. It's from Harmony Books. Uh, Raymond, you can find more about Raymond at raymondanderson.com. You can find out about me and upcoming video courses that I've worked on with some amazing instructors at youthrivehere.com. Join us there, won't you? And thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. To dream the impossible dream To fight the unbeatable foe To bear with unbearable sorrow To run Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Liz Winter, and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.